Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Pedrozo, a technical field services representative with West United Dairies. This week, we're excited to bring you an episode featuring a market update with our partners at Blimling, as well as a conversation Melissa and I had with Amy Mirrodal-Miller discussing the work that she and Jason, along with our government affairs team, have been completing in Sacramento. Well, with that, let's jump right into this week's episode. Pacific Gas and Electric is here to remind you that signs keep you safe. Sections of our natural gas transmission pipeline travel underground and beneath agricultural land. For the safety of you, your family, and your employees, pipeline markers are placed to indicate the approximate location of the pipe as a reminder to use extra care. Removing a pipeline marker creates a serious safety hazard. To have additional markers placed or report damaged or missing markers, please call your PG&E account manager or our Agricultural Customer Service Center at 877-311-3276. To learn more, visit www.pge.com agsafety. Remember, signs keep you safe. Well, hello, Seen and Heard listeners. We are joined today by Amy Mirdahl-Miller back on the podcast again. Amy, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Darby. Happy to be here with you today. Well, we know you've been up to quite a bit of work in Sacramento lately, so we wanted to have you back on to give us an update. Um, Maybe to kick us off, we can talk about AB 181. Yeah, Darby, I'm glad we're kicking it off with all of the good news. Um, AB 181 is the uh, education omnibus budget trailer bill that the governor signed um, earlier this year. And this bill has so much good news for the dairy industry. It has $700 million in appropriations for K through 12 schools, or I should say pre-K through 12 schools. And this funding can be used in a lot of different ways. I think the biggest win for the dairy industry is that it provides kitchen infrastructure grants for schools. So schools can do things like get more milk coolers, chillers, bulk dispensers, things that will serve fresh, frothy, delicious milk from California dairy farms. Um, There's also amazing training grants and, you know, a lot of the school nutrition staff are minimally trained. Some of them may have spent many, many years working in school nutrition, but may have had very little or no formal culinary training. And these training grants will give school nutrition staff opportunities to go through training so they can make more um, freshly prepared foods to serve in schools. And this is a big win for dairy ingredients. So we can see a lot more dairy ingredients potentially being used in school meals. There's also um, intense support for procuring more California grown foods and ingredients for school nutrition programs. And this is critically important that we continue to advocate for this local sourcing, that we continue to advocate for minimally processed ingredients Um, Part of this is, you know, it's great for the kids, um, it's great for California producers, but it also creates less opportunity for competition from foods where the ingredients are grown outside of California, outside of the U.S., processed outside of California or outside of the U.S., 
So again, um, you know, AB 181 is a big, big win. And then there's, you know, there's more detailed um, information in this legislation. It's like hundreds of pages. It's so fun when, you know, Jason says, Amy, can you go through this and find the golden nuggets? So I was panning for gold um, after this passed. You know, I think there's also um, a great support for California farm to school programs within the nitty gritty details of this legislation. And again, helping students get more connected to the people and places where their food comes from. We here in California have so much to be proud of in terms of our agricultural leadership, our environmental stewardship, our leadership in using technology um, and using research coming out of the UC system and other sectors to help us be more sustainable in production practices. And the farm to school program gives schools opportunity to source more program, sorry, source more foods locally to make more connections with local producers. You know, we know that the Dairy Council of California has had a long-term commitment to helping bring um, dairy education into schools. The farm to school program expands those opportunities with, you know, greater funding. And then I think the final win in all of this is the specification in the legislation that if a school is going to offer a plant-based alternative um, to milk, beef, or other animal products, that those alternatives have to meet the national school meal nutrition standards. So this means for fluid milk, the only alternative is soy milk. And, you know, so again, it protects opportunities to get kids to become regular drinkers of milk in schools to give them the options still for the, the chocolate and strawberry or other potential flavors. And this also ensures that schools are collecting the federal meal reimbursement and that California funds can support other aspects of the school nutrition program. Well, that's really exciting. Sounds like a lot of good stuff in there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think um, we should be really proud that we're the first state in the country to offer universal free meals starting this 2022-2023 school year. So that means every child pre-K through 12th grade um, has the opportunity to get a free breakfast and a free lunch. And I think, you know, for a lot of kids, um, this may not be super exciting for them and their families if they're more financially stable. But for all of the kids who come from families who need this support, it reduces or eliminates that stigma of, oh, you're getting the free meal. Now every kid is getting it. Every kid has an opportunity to be nourished, prepared, ready to learn. Um, you know, there's lots of research that shows that having a breakfast increases student participation in the classroom, focus less kind of naughty behavior that disrupts the classroom and makes things harder for the teachers. And, you know, getting kids that are better prepared to learn means they're gonna be potentially more successful in school, happier with, um, you know, what's going on in the school environment. And then of course, there's the nutrition piece of it, right? Getting a balanced breakfast, a balanced lunch, two out of three meals in the day are following this, these USDA national standards for school meals which are based on the best available science for what kids need at different ages, stages of growth. So, you know, as a Californian, I am, I am super proud of our leadership in this area. Well, we're super proud of you, Amy, because you had a big hand in a lot of this and we can't thank you enough for all you've done, not only for the dairy industry, but for the kids who are gonna really reap the benefits of this. 
program. Um, I guess that moves us into the next, I think it was a win, um, AB 558. We had um, some good news in that realm too. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so just to remind all the listeners, AB 558 is titled the Child Nutrition Act of 2022. Um, the lead author on this was Assembly Member Nazarian out of Sherman Oaks. And this legislation um, or proposed legislation incentivizes schools to offer plant-based alternatives to dairy, beef, and other animal products. The incentives are often higher than what the true cost of the food is. Um, so in addition to all of my concerns about nutrition security for children, that incentivizing at a higher level than the true cost of of the food is what has gotten this legislation held up in appropriations. So it's in suspense. Um, we are hopeful that it will go nowhere. Later today, we have a meeting um, with someone from the Department of Finance. But I can tell you this piece of legislation, uh, sorry, proposed legislation also included something that no senator could say wasn't a good thing. And that was um, funding to support sending home with any school-aged child um, a breakfast or snack for another child in the home who wasn't school-aged yet. So, okay, there's a small piece of this that, again, supports children's health and well-being and, and food and nutrition security. Um, Jason and I did meetings um, starting in mid-May, going through the end of June, and it was interesting, you know, the questions that we got from um, legislative staff and from some of the legislators themselves, they were very interested in um, how, you know, how students who have special religious needs, cultural needs, how are their needs met in schools? Like, was their choice for students? And the truth of the matter is, you know, schools think about students as customers. Most school districts are the largest food service operation or the largest um, restaurant in their local area. They're feeding, you know, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of students a day. In other cases, right. thousands of students a day, right? It depends on where you are in the state. Um, and, you know, that, that issue of choice is there. If you look at school menus online, there are choices but they can't do everything for everyone. So there was a lot of concern about that. You know, my big concern was um, schools and, and other feeding programs in our country help ensure food security and nutrition security. You know, the school nutrition program is the best example of that. WIC is also that case where the standards are based on foods that provide essential nutrients. And you know, that issue of giving something that doesn't offer the same nutrient package is a big problem. But if you're not gonna get the federal school meal reimbursement because it doesn't qualify, that's a big problem for California. And this incentivizing um, is just bad policy, right? You're spending more than you need to um, in many cases to give these choices in schools. So, you know, I think Jason and I and others in the coalition who've been lobbying in some cases, or in my case, advocating um, opposition to this, you know, I think that financial piece is what is going to hold this legislation um, in appropriations in suspense. But with that said, I think we all recognize that there is um, intense public belief out there that plant-based is somehow better than a diet that includes foods from both plant-based and animal-based sources, right? 
and that I, I suspect that we'll see some of the co-authors on this bill reintroduce it and that we'll have to continue advocacy work in this area to make sure that the new members of the Assembly and Senate continue to appreciate how important food security and nutrition security are, that we're meeting nutrient needs of kids, that we're doing the very best we can to give them the very best foods. And boy, dairy is at the top of that list as far as I'm concerned. Definitely. And I think a lot of us forget how lucky we are. And in a lot of cases, these kids um, getting those snacks and meals at home, or it's maybe the only really nutrient dense food that they're going to see. And so we really applaud that effort. It's just, let's maybe separate the two and, and talk about how we get kids the best nutrients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember doing some research um, a couple months ago, and I, I stumbled across the fact that more than 50% of kids eligible in, in an eligible age range for WIC are receiving WIC in California. That shocked me. I mean, that yeah. showed me how intense the need is, and especially now with inflation and, and um, you know, rising food costs. And, you know, so um, I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about this because, you know, kids who are hungry they're just not going to do as well in this world. And to be successful as Californians, as citizens of the United States, we, we can do better and we are doing better here in California. Absolutely. Well, we sure appreciate you, Amy, and all the hard work you're doing. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners um, about what you guys have been up to? I know you've been boots on the ground almost every day up in Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, we're going to continue on now. We've got, you know, this meeting today with Department of um, Finance. Um, We've been, you know, having some discussions with people in the governor's office who are very influential, and you know, people are listening. They're paying attention to this. Um, we are hopeful that AB five five eight will go no further. Um, you know, but if it gets in front of the governor, you know, I know that Jason will be intensely focused of not having it signed into law because it is bad policy on so many levels. And then I think we'll be looking you know, to the future, looking at who's getting elected, looking at where there may be the next um, fight in this front against plant-based. So, um, you know, we're, we're staying on top of it. We're being very focused. We're being um, aggressive. But I will tell you, for those of you who know Jason Bryant, um, <laughs> you should be very proud of having him on your side. He is so professional. When I walk around downtown Sacramento with him, he is so, like, people are friendly to him. They're like, hi, Jason, excited to see him. Many of the, the um, senators that we met with were so, like, just um, the relationships he's developed are, are definitely paying off in this arena because he's well-respected, well-liked, and I'm having a really fun time working with him. Yeah, I think it's great to watch him. I've been able to visit a few times up in Sacramento and just kind of catch a glimpse of him working. And I think what you said is is really um, the key of it. His relationships are so powerful. And so I'm excited that the two of you are working together because I don't think we could really ask for a better power team up there in the Capitol. Darby, you're making me blush. You know, when I was growing up on the farm in North Dakota, my dad had dairy cattle up until I was about four years of age. And um, I still have one of his milk canisters from like way back in the 1950s when he finished college and started um, dairy farming with his dad. And, you know, it makes me really proud to do this work. My dad has long passed on in this world, but I think he's looking down on me and smiling and very, very proud that I'm doing this kind of work on behalf of farmers, on behalf of our food system. 
And on behalf of science and fact and practicality and pragmatism. So I'm, I'm delighted to have this opportunity to represent all of you, to work with Jason and to fight the good fight on behalf of food and nutrition security in California. Well, we're so thankful to have you and we're thankful for you taking the time to be on the podcast today to share. I think it's always just so fascinating, not only for us, but for our members and listeners to get an inside glimpse of the work that you're doing. So thank you again. My pleasure. Have a great day, you guys. You too. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with a relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. folks hope you had a great week it was a really busy week uh, in terms of reports for our dairy markets we kicked off with a global dairy trade event out of oceana on tuesday that overall index declined again uh, powders took the biggest hit uh, for instance skim milk powder was down nearly nine percent to a dollar 68 equivalent per pound um, kind of backing up the lack in what seems to be demand out of china was updated trade data also uh, into China, confirming much softer demand. Imports of powders were down 30% on the year. Um, We then moved to a milk production report. Um, That landed pretty near expectations. The U.S. output was down point, uh, I'm sorry, up 0.2%. The gains were led by South Dakota, Texas, and Wisconsin. California's output was the same as the U.S., up 0.2%. Um, USDA did revise CAV numbers for the May report, um, and they also added 4,000 head for June. So the report-to-report change was an increase of 18,000 head. We're still running at a deficit, but if this rate continues, we'll be back up year over year, most likely by year end. And something uh, to keep in mind is looking forward here from here on out for the rest of the year, recall that output fell off pretty significantly in the second half of 2021. So the year-over-year comps are going to get a lot easier to beat starting with the next report uh, for July that will come out in late August. We capped off the week with USDA's cold storage report for June. Um, probably not a lot of big waves made there. Uh, eyes were on June uh, June cheese inventories. Uh, the decline fell in line with historical drawdowns, um, but we are up year over year by a little bit larger margin from May to June, so maybe a bit of a wash there. Our spot markets were mostly lower. We lost eight and a half cents on blocks down to one ninety one. And barrels lost 15 cents down to 192. So both blocks and barrels below $2 a pound, something we haven't seen for quite some time. Butter lost a little bit down two and a, a quarter cents to 290.75. Nonfat did pick up two and a half cents up to 168.50. Um, on the good news ledger, we did see corn retreat a little bit more uh, with the nearby contract down to 564 and a quarter. That's down 40 cents a bushel. 
So the, I would say, though, the, as we look at margin estimates, uh, the, the decline in grains were definitely welcome, um, but the milk declines in the, in the milk futures as we look down the curve were a little bit steeper than the losses in the grains. So margins still looking a little bit tight uh, for producers in, in the months ahead. Um, please reach out if we have any questions. Next week should be quiet in terms of uh, dairy market reports. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Seen and Heard, and a special shout out to our contributors, Amy Murdahl-Miller and Tiffany LaMandola. We hope you're enjoying Seen and Heard, and we would love your feedback. For questions, comments, or requests for specific content, please email Darby. D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com or Melissa M. Lima, M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And you can also send an email to the office, I-N-F-O at wudairies.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Seen and Heard on your favorite listening platform. And have a great week, everyone. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. I-E-S dot com.